Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. I, we are so proud of you. You guys are amazing. Wow. We, are, we do not have far to go Praise on God. this building. Free. We are on the home stretch. What was it, 109? Yeah. 109 is what we owe? Yeah. Yeah. Not far now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, you are in for a treat tonight. Not because I'm up here. I'm just saying you're in for a treat. Wow. And I, I am even excited about what's going to happen tonight. So, you know, the Lord uh, put, put on my heart. Do you have the title for my sermon? No? Yes? Did it disappear? Anyways, the name of my sermon tonight is the word choose. Everybody say choose. And so the Lord put on my heart to, 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 to preach on the word choose. Don't you love it when you have a choice? When you go to the ice cream store and you don't always have to get white or black, you have to get, you know, vanilla or chocolate, you get to choose a plethora of flavors and you have a choice. Don't you love it when it's your 35th anniversary or your 25th anniversary and your husband asks you, where do you want to go? And you have a choice and he doesn't tell you where you're going. He's not like that anyways. I actually did say Hawaii, but Hawaii is just not very open right now at all. So we would have to quarantine ourselves for 14 days. What good is that? Then we have to come home. And the bad thing, and that's not such a bad thing because I can quarantine out, I thought out in the open and enjoy nature, but you're not even allowed to quarantine out in the open. You are stuck in a quarantine uh, resort and you're not even allowed to go through the gate and go to the ocean in case you give COVID to someone five miles away from you swimming in the waves. So <laughs> I'm like, Hawaii is out. But um, anyways, one of, my, one of my, our sons gave us an anniversary trip for Christmas, uh, you know, this year, and basically almost all expense paid. So I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. But I want to talk about the word choose. I am, I am so excited about this word because I want to read to you Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. So if you could throw that up on the screen. And is there a way we can turn on that back screen? Because it is blank and black. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. God said this to the Israelites, and he's saying this to his people. I call heaven and earth. Who's calling? God is. Is the devil? No. He said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death. Who set before us life and death? God did. God said, okay, I've got two choices here. This, the, the devil's not in the picture here. And I, I want you to get this understanding that this is something God said. I set before you life and death, therefore blessing and cursing. This is not Satan talking. This is God saying, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose what? Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. I love this word choose because when God said that, whew, I read that for the first time, that just jumped off the, t the page to me. He's saying that I've got a choice. Yeah. 
and that he set before me life or death and that I can choose one or the other. He's not making me do one or the other. He's given me free will. But guess what he's saying? He's saying, therefore, choose life. That you and your descendants may barely get along. That you and your descendants may get drugged down by the devil. Yeah, you're going to receive persecution. Yes, he's going to try to attack you and stop the plan of God. Especially those that are seeking it and praying in the Holy Ghost and spending time with God. But God... The creator of the world and the universe said, I'm the one that said, I've got life sitting here or I've got death. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. And when I read that, I was like, I choose life. I don't choose death. I don't choose hell. I don't choose sickness. I don't choose poverty. I don't choose darkness. I don't choose anything that looks like death in my life because God said that if I chose life, that was his recommendation, choose life that me and my descendants may die, that me and my descendants' lifespan may be cut short, that we may have a terrible life here on earth. No, he said, if you'll choose life that I've set before you, you and your descendants will live. Now say that with me. I choose life. This, has, this is an agreement between you and God. This has nothing to do, the devil's been after me all week. Bless his holy name. This has nothing to do with Satan. God said, choose life. And if you do, you went through the right door. You and your descendants, all of them, will live. Yes. Now, let's go to the next verse. Verse 20. Okay, so I might have this in a weird place. So I had a hard time putting this on uh, because when I moved it down, it went flippity-flop. Okay, so I'll just read it. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice. What does it mean to love the Lord your God? Love the Lord your God. Very, thank you, Tracy. It does mean that, to obey. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Yes. Might, right? Might. Yes. Okay. And love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, you can love somebody truly for who God made them to be, who Jesus shed his blood for, for the life that God put in them mm -hmm. and not like them. Sure. Sure. You don't have to like everybody. Not everybody is likable. Does that make sense? There are people that I can name off to you right now I do not like. I do not like them. But I choose to see them to what they can be, and if they don't become that, they're going to a devil's hell. But I'm not going to walk around going, I hate this person. I may hate the evil that surrounds them right now, but I don't hate the person. Amen? Amen. 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 So, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days. Now, Amber, stand up. What does that mean? 
that you may love the Lord your God, you may obey his voice, and you may cling to him. This, this is you and God. You're clinging to him. A lot of Christians are out here waving at him. You can have a seat. Thank you. He's your life. He is your life and the length of your days. He is not supposed to ever be just a part of your life. He is not supposed to be somewhere second and third while you've got some other things up one and two or he's third and fourth. He said, cling to me for I am your life. I'm your life. I'm not just a piece of your life. And so the blessing comes when you cling to God and you seek him and say, I want to do whatever you want me to do. I want to go wherever you want me to go. Not every one of you out there is supposed to be behind a pulpit, but you're supposed to be doing something that brings glory to God. And he has, and he put that in you before you were born. But unfortunately, most of us will never see that central will of God because we've never taken the time to cling to him to obey his voice, to find out what his will is. And the first way you find out what his will is, is by choosing to read the will. This is your first indication of what his will is for you. A lot of things are written here on what he says. This is my will. Once you've mastered that, he'll get into some specifics with you. But if you'll prepare your heart here and read his will and, and obey his voice that's written, then the other things that aren't written in here for your specific life, you'll be able to hear his voice because you'll be able to take this and compare it first to what you're hearing. Amen. I heard the saddest story by Andrew Womack, he said he was dating a young lady before he went to the Vietnam War. And he was, uh, she was young, he was young, I guess they were in their 20s, and she really loved the Lord. And he didn't know much, she didn't know much, she went to a Baptist church, I guess, and a, a preacher came by and preached, and he was like, he had like seven incurable diseases, and he was barely alive. But he came by and was preaching the fact that, you know, you want to ask God, to, to break you and give you diseases so, and, and so you could be a testimony. And maybe someone could get saved through your brokenness and your disease. And so Andrew went to war, and this young lady really loved God, and she took what this man said to heart, and she said, Lord, I really want to be used by you. I want to be a testimony. Break me and give me a sickness. And the next day... They rushed her off to the hospital, and she was diagnosed with acute leukemia, and she was dead within like a year. Wow. 20 years old. Wow. 21, 22, Shantae's age. Can you imagine that? <laughs> or whatever. Or whatever. In the 20s. <laughs> and so, did God answer her prayer? No. no. God did not answer that no, prayer. That. She opened the door to something. And I'm telling you right now, sickness and disease in a person's body is not all about is not all about food. Sometimes it is and the way you treat it, the way you treat your machine, but sometimes it's not all about food and natural stuff. It's about what's in your heart. It's about what's going on inside of you. You are a three-part being. 
and Satan can attack you through your spirit into your soul and take it right back down into your body and it has nothing to do with food. We need to do our part in food, but if you're doing all you can and what you know in food and you're still, I mean, this girl's 20-something years old. I, I doubt back in the, the 50s or the early 60s she was eating candy all day, right? The next day she was diagnosed and rushed off to the hospital and she thought she was in God's will. Well, I thought, well, why did she go to the hospital? If she's in God's will and want to be a testimony, she should have just stayed there and died right there. Come on, this just doesn't even make sense. What I'm talking about tonight is you have a choice. The beauty is that you have a choice. You have a choice on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night whether you're going to pay attention to the preacher or preacheress and get off your phone and spend undistracted time and not look at social media one time on your cell phone. You have a choice to not be distracted or to be distracted. God doesn't choose that for you. You have a choice of how good a life you have or how bad a life you have. And when I read Deuteronomy 13 and God says, no, it's me setting this before you. It's life or death. That's all. There's only two choices here. There's not a lot of flavors. There's no in-between. It's either life or death. Which door do you want to open? And, he, and then he gave you the answer. This is the right answer. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. When you get attacked with sickness or you get attacked by the devil or things happen in your life, you say, no, I choose life. I chose life back there, back when, whenever I made this commitment to the Lord. I choose life in every area, in obedience, in spending time with the Lord. When he tells me to do something, I choose life here. So that when Satan does bring something against your physical body, you go, no, I chose life. Yes, amen. You're not a part of this deal. Mm-hmm. Correct. Now, you're going to have to enforce your authority because he's a punk. Yes. And he wants to stop you from walking in the life that God has for you. Yes. And yes, you're going to have to tell him to get off your body. I can't tell you how many times I've told him to get off my body from, from alarming symptoms that have hit my body. You can't rush to the hospital every time you have a very bad pain and a very scary feeling. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, if God tells you to, yeah. But you're going to have to pray, and then you need to tell the devil to get off you and then start dancing and praising God. That's right? Right? Start praying in the Holy Ghost. Start using your spiritual weapons. So let's go on. You may love the Lord your God that you may obey his voice that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days. When you choose life, you don't have to give in to the fear that your life will be shortened by a car wreck, by sickness and disease, by a robber, by a thief, by someone killing you with their gun. I'm not against guns. You know I'm not. Uh, But he said... The length of your days. I will be the length of your days. With long life, I'll satisfy you. I mean, I'm glad you have guns, and I'm glad we have guns, and I hope we don't ever have to use them, but if we do, okay. But the truth is, is that if you, you, catch your, you get caught without a gun, use the name of Jesus. <laughs> use the name of Jesus. It's powerful. It's very powerful. Amen? All right, so I need to finish that. 
and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to you, to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Amen. Everybody say, choose life. All right, here we go. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. One of my favorite. We're going to choose something here. Do you know you can choose what you dwell on and what you think about? First of all, we can choose to value the word of God so much that when he tells us to do something, we just do it. Yes. Even though you don't want to do it, just do it. If you love him and you've chosen life, then he said up there that you may obey his voice. Well, this is the first voice right here. This is your first voice. Rejoice in the Lord, Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord when you're throwing up. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like crap. Rejoice in the Lord where everything seems like it's not going well. He said always, not rejoice in your circumstance, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in what he did for you, rejoice in the blood that was shed for you, rejoice that he's made you holy and blameless in him, and your righteousness has been found in him. He said always rejoice in the Lord. So when you feel your worst, you feel like God's not hearing you, things are not changing around, things aren't turning, just shut up and shut your mind up and say, you know what? I'm going to do what my God said. Amen. He told me to rejoice. So I just rejoice in you, and I thank you right now. Amen. Listen, we all at some point in time have to grab ourselves. Yes. I had to grab myself today. I got so mad at Google. <laughs> I'm like, I hate you, Google. I mean, I don't think Google's a person. It's just an entity. But, I mean, I think Google can be very evil, but Google was being very evil to me today. And I got really mad. <laughs> and I said, I'm Lord, I'm sorry for telling Google I hate it. But I do hate Google sometimes. But I refuse <laughs> to be bitter against Google. So, and I'm sorry I got so upset, but it was driving me nuts. Hallelujah. I'm sure if I gave Siri half a chance, I would not like her either. <laughs> so let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be known. Not your anger, right. not your upsetness, right. not your personality that doesn't glorify the Lord. Be anxious for nothing. This is something we choose. Amen. He didn't just say, don't worry. He didn't say, just don't worry. Just don't worry. If that's all he said, that'd be a hard thing for him to leave us with. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. He's given us an antidote. And, and with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, verse 8. Here we go. This is a choice. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It does not say whatever things are true, noble, just, and pure about your life or lovely. You're trying to find, sometimes people are trying to find something. God, is there anything lovely going on about my life? What can I be thankful for about my life? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, whatever's pure. Jesus is pure. Whatever's lovely, he loves you. Whatever is of good report, he's coming back again. And he's going to smoke this place. 
with all of his evil. And he's coming back with ten thousands of his saints and going to make a new heaven and earth. He just said, whatever. It may not apply to you at that moment in your life. There may not be a whole lot of lovely, a whole lot of noble, a whole lot of true, a whole lot of just going on in your life right now. But he's saying, well, whatever is, that's what I want you to meditate on. Whatever is worthy of praise. Well, God is worthy of praise. Duh. Jesus is worthy of praise. The Holy Ghost, that gift, that miraculous gift that he gave you. Building myself up on the most holy faith when I feel like crap. That is beautiful. That's lovely. That's virtuous. That's praiseworth. Meditate on that thing. Right there at that time. But you have a choice. You can choose to or you can choose not to. Every step away from choosing the wrong thing is a step towards darkness. I didn't say you were going to hell. I just said it's a step towards darkness. What did he say? Let's go back to Deuteronomy 13, verse 19 that you would obey my voice. Yes. This is the first voice yes. recognition yes. in your life. Amen. Right here. Yep, that's true. If you learn to obey this, yes. then Amen. you got life coming to you. Right. Amen? Yes. And people, like Pastor said a few weeks ago, people don't value the word. They don't honor the word that much. I was talking to someone today, and I said, Lord, I'm so sorry for talking to them. I should have not been so detailed with them. They're sweet, really sweet person. And they wanted to know about something, and I went and told them, you know, because they really know the situation. They wanted to know, and I told them. And, and, and I said, you know, they're like, that, that's probably never going to change. And I'm like, man, God, I should have never said a word. I should have just, you know, not, not everybody needs details. Okay, they just don't need the details. And so I said, but you know what? The Lord showed me this in the word. So I went on to say, I read, I mean, I quoted the verse because he had, he had burned it on my heart. I said, I haven't read this verse in years. And all of a sudden he showed me this verse and this is what I did. And actually it's starting to work. Yeah, but yeah, but it's probably going to relapse again. That's not really going to work 100% of the time. And I'm like, okay, I don't need to be talking to this person right now. Because I put my faith in his word and what I heard him tell me. And if he wants to tell me something besides that, he can. But, but when I open the Bible to a scripture and he has it jump off the page and he's like, I'm going to put my faith in that and believe that that scripture that he wrote me is working and that's my direction. Amen? Okay. So then let's go to Proverbs 1920. Proverbs 1920. I'm really going somewhere with this. You're going to love this before it's all over. I promise. <laughs> I'm not insecure. I get happy when I preach just because I love the word and I can preach to myself. All right. It's nice to have response, but you know, if you guys are really quiet, I just keep preaching because <laughs> it's good stuff. Listen to counsel. Uh, listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. 
There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that's the one that will stand. Listen to counsel and receive. And I, in the ESV translation, it says, listen to counsel and accept instruction. Yes. Did you know that you can choose whether you accept even my instruction yes. up here right now as I'm instructing you? You have a choice. Yes. And so you can choose this instruction that's being given to you tonight. And even if you start applying it, and even in the smallest way, you'll see growth in that area. Try, instead of going on and on and being mad and frustrated, try even in the middle of your frustrating frustration to start praising the Lord. Just, just try that. Just do it. At first, it, it doesn't feel right. But then all of a sudden, everything starts to calm down. You know, and God, God just helps you. If you'll just do what he said. So listen to counsel and receive or accept instruction so that you will, what she already went to the other verse, that you may be wise in your latter days. Do you know how many times we, Pastor and I have talked to younger people, maybe some of them in our own family, and if they just listen, if they just listen, they wouldn't be going through some of the pain they're going through right now. But you have to make a choice to listen. Amen? Now, let's go to 2 Peter 3.9. These are for anybody that ever, I don't know, uh, comes up against someone who says God has willed that who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved and, and all this stuff. But look what God says even here. Some, someone came up to me and I mean, I would say pretty much back me in a corner. I would say that really did happen. <laughs> and they, they said, uh, I'm telling you that God has willed for some to be saved and some not to be saved. They started quoting all these Old Testament scriptures about how he created the destroyer to destroy and how he created the blacksmith to, to pound and how he did all this. And listen, I'm not telling you that I understand every Old Testament scripture, but I am telling you that there's a lot of interpretations that are misinterpreted in our English Bibles, yeah. and we don't need to be going like, oh gosh, this is terrible. No, just yeah. find out. Go get the Greek. Go get other translations right. until you've figured it out. Yeah. I've gotten some Jewish-English translations that have helped me immensely. Yeah. Like, that's not exact. That's not at all what it said. Yeah, amen. And, and all of a sudden, I got it. But I'm telling you what, when you do find a scripture that is, there's no room for misunderstanding, there's no room for misunderstanding. Yeah. I mean, and they went off on me, had me backed in a corner for 10 minutes telling me that, that God has chosen some to be saved and some not, and, and I don't know whether they thought that I was one of those in the chosen or not. I didn't really care. I'm, I'm sure they did, but they, they were alluding to the fact that if I didn't get on the bandwagon with them, I might be in the pair or in the group that's in the unchosen part. So I just said, you know what? Well, you can't. Get rid of 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning slow. That's what that means. He's not slow concerning his promise as some men count slackness or slowness. In other words, he's waiting a long time. He's not, you know, people say he's not ever going to come. Things are still going on the way they ever, and he's never going to come back. But it says he's not slow 
as some men think he is. It says that he is long-suffering to us, word. He's waiting, why? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I said, you know what? I may not understand everything about Amos and everything about these Old Testament prophecies and this and that and everything you're throwing at me right now, but one thing I do understand, and that verse is in American English, God is not willing that any person should perish. But you know some of them are. Duh, I know some of them are going to go in by the broad gate. That is, that is, that's their choice, but they get to choose. He is not willing that any should perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. If God wants everyone to come to repentance, which we know they're not, then why would he just designate a group that should be saved and a group that no matter how hard they try, they're just not going to be saved? Please, I, I have more intelligence than this. I may be blonde, but it may not be natural. <laughs> so don't be treating me like a blonde. All right. <laughs> That's, that was free. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of natural now. Salt water and sun has turned it what it is. So I don't even fight it anymore. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is great. Romans 12, 1. Oh, where's my drink? There it is. All right, here we go. I'll find it in my Bible. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, you, you. not Jesus, you. Yes. Right. he bought us, he paid for us by his blood. Yep. And now he's saying, because I did that for you, you present, you can present your body yes, you a can. living sacrifice, yes. holy and acceptable to me. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so we might revisit that in just a minute. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship or your service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. One of the ways for you to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is for you not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed yes. by renewing of your mind. Yes. Pastor has said this a million times, your mind didn't get saved. That's right. Your body didn't get saved. Your spirit got saved. Yes. You're yes. a three-part person. Yes. You're really a spirit. You have a soul, and you live in a body. Right. Yes. Amen. And whichever one you feed the most is That's the one correct. the other two are going to gravitate towards. That's correct. Does that make sense? Yes. If you feed your spirit the most the soul will gravitate yes. to the spirit and drag the body along. Yes, that's right. Okay? The body is just out there yes. with whatever choice one makes or the other. The soul really is the deciding factor. Yes. And so if you don't feed your spirit, if you don't see what God told you to do, how to live acceptable and holy to him, then your, your soul is going to do what it wants to do and drag the body along with it. The reason we as born-again Christians do not influence greatly our world around us is because we have let our world influence us too much. 
We have come down with the culture. Every time the culture takes a step down, we take a step down. They take a step down, we take a step down. Not we. I'm not putting myself in that. Not you all. If God said something, it is that way from the ancient of days to, the, to now. And just because it's 2021 doesn't mean he's a little less than he was in 000. <laughs> okay? All right. So you are going to have to choose, right? You are going to have to behave like a Christian. You are a Christian, but you're going to have to make the choice to behave like one. So look at verse 9. Verse 9, chapter 12 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Well, what does that mean? Abhor what is evil. We have our different levels of evil. No, abhor what God says is evil. Whatever God says is evil, we need to abhor. End of subject. So if you don't know really what what is evil, then you need to read the word and see what God says is evil. He said abhor and turn away from what's evil and cling to what's good. He says be affectionate towards one another. Walk in love towards one another. He said that the the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. You have the ability to walk in love because you have the God kind of love in you. You just haven't exercised it. You just haven't exercised it. You have muscles, but if you don't exercise them, they're weak. Right? And so you have spiritual muscles. You have everything you needed when you said, Jesus be Lord. You have everything you needed. You just haven't exercised it. Get out there and exercise love that you have inside of you. When someone smarts off at you, bite your tongue and say, praise the Lord. Just work on it, you know? You don't have to tell people all the time what's in your mind. You do not have to give them a piece of your mind because if you give everybody a piece of your mind, you will not have anything left because you don't have much in there. But if you will have the mind of Christ, you'll have a lot to give to people. Amen? All right, so I've got, I want to I read one thing to you, and then I've got, Miss Teresa's going to come up, and she's going to give us an awesome, her story of how she chose in a very bad situation. She's got a great story. So I'm just going to read one little scripture, and then I'm going to let her come up. This is just something I want you to think about, okay? I'm not here to preach on it tonight. I just want you to think about it. This is about me and you searching in the scriptures and seeing what God says about things. Some of these scriptures that I'm going to read you, they're not in your promise box when you have your coffee and your bagel in the morning. They're just not there. But they're in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4, it is in the Bible. Okay, here we go. 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally, brethren... We urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and how you ought to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. I don't know what his will is. Well, I'm reading it to you right here. Chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You're going to possess your soul. You're going to possess your soul and your body in sanctification. That you should abstain from what? 
Sexual immorality. That means having sex before you're married if you don't know what that means. Those are big words. Sexual immorality, fornication. All it means is you're sleeping around, you're having sex before you've said, I do. That's all that means. And you know our society is full of that. And if you've done that, I'm not here to condemn you today. I, I'm not the one that condemns. But if you know and you read and go, this is not right, then, then it's awesome. You just repent and say, God, this is not right. Help me to make things right. You get married, and God is able to bless you. So that's, that's wonderful. But maybe there's some people in your family that you need to read this to. I'm just saying. Or some friends. For we know, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Not you. You're not like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one, he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother. He's talking about brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother or sister in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. Therefore... He who rejects this saying that I'm saying right now does not reject me, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. I'm talking about if you'll just read sections of your Bible and go, oh, this is what God thinks. And then just turn. Just make the change. If, you're, if a person is sleeping with another person and they're in the body of Christ and they're born-again Christians, he just said, God said, you're taking advantage of each other and you're defrauding them. You're stealing. Defraud means to steal something that rightfully belongs to them. They don't belong to that person. The other person doesn't belong to that person until you have made the commitment. So if if a person's sleeping around and having sex before marriage, they're taking advantage of each other and defrauding. And he said, abstain from that. And he said, if you don't like what he's saying, you're not rejecting him, you're rejecting God. Maybe we need to have some talks with our family and our friends Amen. that are in the church, born again. Yes. I'm not talking about the world now. The world's going to do what the world's going to do. Yes. They, they have a sin nature from their dad. But guess what? Our dad's not Satan. Correct. Our dad is Father God. Amen. And we have everything in us that we need Amen. to choose right and abstain from holiness. Amen. I mean, abstain from evil and be holy. <laughs> Don't abstain from holiness. All right. Miss Teresa is going to tell you a piece of her story about how she she chose to be better instead of bitter and to go from a position of tragedy to triumph in her life, and that's why she's here tonight and today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let me get rid of all my stuff here. (laughs) All right. Well, some of you... Uh, have been here for a while, and so you've kind of heard me talk about my testimony just a little bit in the past. Um, But when I talked about it in the past, I was rather vague. I I gave you like a hint at what might have been going on, but I didn't really talk too much about it. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, One is because people naturally tend to 
think, oh, you're talking about all that stuff. You want sympathy. So let me start out right away by telling you I'm, I'm 57, almost 58 in a week. One week I'll be 58 years old. It's all happened a long time ago. I'm well past needing sympathy, okay? So let me just, <laughs> you know, that was a lot of years ago that those things happened. And number two is because, you know, God delivered me from it all. And so I'm no longer a victim of it. I'm no longer a victim of any of it. And truthfully, truthfully, there comes a point, and we're going to talk about this tonight, where forgiveness sets you totally free and you rarely think of it. You rarely even think of it. Amen? But I'm going to start at the beginning tonight, uh, close to it. Of course, I can't tell you every detail. We'd be here for ages. But uh, I'm going to give you a little layout of some things and, and, and just share with you how God helped me along this journey. But it was my choice. And I made some good choices and I made some bad ones. But God worked with me and I turned and I started making those good choices. And I think that there may be some people here tonight that you may, you've heard Pastor Lisa talk and you've heard us and you've seen us and you're like, but you don't know what my life has been like. And see, I just don't think that all this can work for me because da da da, fill in the blank, right? Well, I'm, I'm going to share my story here in just a minute, but I'm going to tell you that in the natural, I had every reason to turn out different. Every reason to turn out different. But your beginning and your circumstances don't get to choose for you. That's the first thing I want to tell you. That's the first thing I want to tell you. So, when I was a little girl about five years old, um, my dad and my mom got a divorce. My dad was a truck driver. And my mom worked in a, in a coat factory. Um, we were living in Jessup, Georgia. My mom did not want my dad to go on the road. She was not happy about him doing that. And they both drank. They were drinkers. My dad was a, an alcohol abuser, I would say. But my mom was an alcoholic. And there is a difference. An alcohol abuser is somebody who chooses to drink and drink and do whatever. But when they want to quit at any time, they can an alcoholic is a person who drinks and they're and immediately they're they're on a they're on a journey now and it's quite a thing to get them off of it it can last for months or whatever before you can get them off of it okay and generally they have to get to the point of being so very sick that that that's what does it they're very sick you know so so i was 5 years old and and um my mom and my dad were having a lot of problems they fault quite often but they never were abusive to us kids they were more like neglectful I would say if anything uh, what I mean by that get drunk and you know maybe dinner didn't happen and baths didn't happen and there was no real routine and things could be quite you know loose and loosey-goosey you might go to bed at 12 tonight and you might go to bed at 9 tomorrow and you know whatever just very loose I would say neglectful is more like what it was well, through all the choices that they were making, my dad went on the road. My mom was angry. Uh, she started drinking, and things fell apart, and they got divorced. During that time, because my dad was an alcohol abuser, but my mom was an alcoholic, I tended to be more close to my dad because he felt more secure to me as a little girl because he could pull himself together. He was also a highly functioning person when he was drunk in, in those early years. He could be very drunk, and if you didn't know him, 
you wouldn't even know. Only the people around him would know because of the glittery eyes and the, you know, the, the few little telltale things, but mostly he could function. And so when they split up, me and my brother were closest in age. My, he was four years older than me. He's passed on and gone to heaven now. Uh, but uh, my dad came, and, and when my mom and dad had split up, my mom agreed to let him take my brother because he was quite a handful. He was a boy, and she thought that, you know, dads could do a better job with a very, um, not really a bad boy, but just a boy, okay? So he, I mean, why, what I mean by that is if you said don't do it, that's the thing he went to do, and if, he, if it was dangerous, he was doing it, and if it was, you know, he was just a boy. Well, I was very devastated by that. Um, I was a little girl, and that was my brother, and also my oldest sister had moved and, and was going with my dad. And I remember standing on the side of the road, and I cried. I was standing out by the road as they were leaving, and I was just bawling. And my dad said, don't worry about it, Tina. I'll be back for you. He said, don't you worry about it. I'll be back for you. So, sure enough, the day come, they got divorced, and uh, custody had been granted to my mom. Um, but my dad came while my mom was at work. And my other sister was still there, and I was at my grandmother's house, which she just lived right behind my mom. So it was just literally a hop and a skip down behind her. And he demanded that she go get me. And so she went and got me, and he took me while I, my mom was at work. Um, now, that today is considered kidnapping. But back then, they had no law against taking your own children right? They had no law against that. And when I say that, it sounds much more dramatic that I wasn't scared to go with my dad. I was thrilled to go with my dad. You know, I was like, woohoo, I'm going to be with my brother and my sister. My older sister mostly took care of me while my mom was working or whatever. And so my whole life had changed. My siblings were gone. My one sibling that was home was in school during the day. And I was staying with a grandma that was my mom's mom. And was that's a whole nother story. Part of the reason my mom was like she was. And while she wasn't mean to me in any way, she wasn't a cuddly grandma. She wasn't the kind of grandma that you were like, woohoo, I'm going to grandma's house. Okay, it was more like, okay, I'm going to grandma's house. Woo, all right. So, because you never do. How she just was, it's hard to explain her. <laughs> and so my dad comes and he tells my sister, you go get her and he takes me. And things are good for a while. And when we get across the Florida line, well, there's nothing my mom can do because there's no law against taking your own children, right? And so for a short time, we lived with my dad's sister, and it was good. And then he bought a mobile home, and, and that was good. I was living with my, my sister and my brother, and everything was okay. I missed my mom, but basically I was all right. But then he met this lady, or actually I don't know if he'd been seeing her before or not. I honestly don't know. And long story short, they get married. Now, she uh, is an alcoholic. And I'm talking the kind of alcoholic that doesn't stop drinking, ever. Not just that she drinks for a month or two and, and quits. I'm talking about the kind that has alcohol in her coffee in the morning to help her to get over the alcohol she had last night, you know. And so, she's a very um, a mean woman. <laughs> she was very mean. Uh, in the beginning, she wasn't like that because, of course, she was wanting my dad to marry her. She had three kids of her own. She had two boys and a daughter, and she was quite mean with them, too. And she resented greatly having my brother and me, who were young. He was nine, and I was five. Uh, 
in her household because her kids were already up into teen years. And she, she, she really didn't want us. So why she agreed to marry my dad, who had two smaller kids, I'll never know. But anyway, so they get married, and now there's nine of us living in a three-bedroom house with one bathroom. And if that's not enough to give you nightmares. <laughs> so here we are. We're cast into this world where we're, we're having to share a bed with somebody we don't know. So two of us are sisters, and one of us is the stepsister. And so there's two in a bed. There's bunk beds, and there's two in a bed. So, I mean, our world is turned upside down, and I do mean literally overnight. I met her once before they got married. Once. They took, they, they took me out to eat, and that was it. They got married, and we were moving into their house. The years are going by. She's quite a vindictive woman. What do I mean by that? Well, her favorite thing was she would take me and my brother, and she would take us in there, and she'd sit us at the table, and she'd tell us how horrible we were. Now, you're a little kid, okay? You don't know how to process this stuff. And, and she's telling you things like, you've ruined my life, and your dad is this, and he's that. And, you're... and once she had me and my brother crying and upset, and she would pick on me and pick on me, and then my brother would try to defend me, and then he, he, she'd attack him, and sometimes my dad would punish him severely for trying to protect me. My older sister sometimes would try to protect me, but uh, she also got punished severely for that. And what I mean by that is that my dad punched her right upside her head and broke her eardrum because she dared to threaten to take me out of the household. She really disliked me the most simply because somebody who did not mean harm, a, a, a friend of the family had come, uh, well, a friend of my dad's basically, a, a fishing buddy who had known my mom, and he saw me, and he made this statement. Oh, my goodness, she looks just like Patsy. That's my mother. Uh-oh, is right. Very jealous woman. She was so jealous that she did not allow my dad to hug me. So I was no longer allowed to hug my dad. My dad was no longer allowed to pick me up. My siblings were not allowed to pick me up. And you say, why did she do this? Listen, I don't know. Later in life, she was diagnosed as bipolar, but we know that's just another way of saying she had a devil. Okay? And as Pastor said, she probably had two, one from the north and one from the south, bipolar. So, <laughs> so there you go. That was her problem, all right? And I do believe that a lot of her drinking was her trying to calm down these devils. But how many of y'all know that you cannot meditate? Medicate? You cannot medicate a devil. All you can do is just, you know, make it worse, basically. That's basically all you're doing. So I was raised in a household like this. She would do things like one time I asked for some extra peas at dinner. I shared this with Pastor Lisa. That's why, Justin, I can feel you when you hate those peas, buddy. <laughs> anyway, I, she cooked the peas, and I actually did like them. She had filled them with butter and salt, and they were good. And so I ate them, and I asked for an extra helping that night and she carried on about how I was, needed to make a little pig of myself and things of this sort and she of course then I'm crying and I don't want to eat the peas right but now she's demanding I eat the peas so I ate the peas and the next night she makes peas again except the next night that's my dinner and that's nobody else's dinner nobody else at the table's allowed to eat the peas and Teresa has to eat all the peas
And so I ate all the peas because that was being demanded of me. And I spent the night throwing up violently. So I, I'm pretty sure she probably doctored them up for me in some kind of, you know, castor oil or who knows, you know, X-lax, something. Who knows what she put in them, okay? Now, I tell you all that to give you a kind of idea of the atmosphere of this house. When I was a teenager, um, from a very er from the moment I moved in, she demanded that I wash all the dishes for the family of nine. And I better get it right. Now, how many of y'all know what a five-year-old looks like? How many of you have five-year-olds? Would you expect them to be able to do all those dishes and get it perfectly right? Would you expect that? And would you punish them severely when they did not get all the grease? Okay, so this was the kind of atmosphere that my brother and myself, mostly my brother and myself because my other two siblings were old enough that they got out pretty quickly. So it was mostly my brother and, and myself who were in this atmosphere. Well, long story short, this creates... I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> this creates a very um, insecure, in a lot of ways. You know, people say all the time, well, hey, if you do something and you fail, it's not a big deal. Do you know I had to learn that? And I imagine some of you were brought up in houses like that because if I did something and failed, it was a huge deal. You know, it could mean a lot of punishment. It could mean a lot of really bad things being said to me. You're stupid. You know, you're ugly. Look how fat you are, you little fat thing, and things like that. And I was not fat. I was a little kid. You know, I was not fat as a kid. Um, you're, you're, she would do things like watch me when I was getting ready for, I, I'm telling you all a lot of really nasty stuff because I want you to understand where, where the headspace was with me. Um, she would do things like watch me. Uh, while I was getting dressed in the morning, she would even go outside and watch me through my window, which was very peculiar. <laughs> and then she would come in and say, oh, you think you're pretty, don't you? Staring at yourself in the mirror, combing my hair. You know, she'll, okay, getting dressed and combing my hair. She would, she would come down, we had, now listen, she was a drunk. She, her ninja skills were, were, they were non-existent, okay, because she was a drunk. All right, let me just tell you. But she thought she was slick. And so she, she would get, at night, she'd get drunk, and she'd go to her bedroom, and she'd, she'd slam the door. And then, she'd, and then she'd think, well, maybe they didn't know that I'm disgruntled, and she'd open the door, and she'd slam it again. And then she'd think maybe that wasn't good enough, and she'd slam it again. And finally, my dad would yell at her and say, go to bed. And, and she'd, well, she wouldn't go to bed. What she'd do is she'd sneak back out, and we had this divider. <laughs> I almost have to laugh when I tell you all this. It's so stupid. Anyway, she had, we had this divider that you came down the hall, and there was like this buffet thing, you know, like a divider right there. And she'd, she'd try to hide. But like I told you, she was drunk. Her ninja skills were non-existent. And so she'd be back there making all kinds of noise, trying to, to watch me and my dad over this buffet thing to, to make sure I wasn't, I don't know, talking to him or that I was doing the dishes, or he wasn't giving me anything. Who knows what, okay? And they treated my brother that way, too. Uh, my brother was moved into that house with two older boys, and they beat up on him quite often. They were teenagers, and remember, they were her sons, so they had been raised in that kind of, not quite like the way she was with me, 
but she admitted freely that she, uh, one time her, her oldest son, when he was a baby, she was playing with him on her lap, as mamas do, bouncing him up and down. And by accident, he hit her in the mouth with his head, and she shook him violently and beat him. And she admitted she did that. So I'm telling you that to let you know the problem. She, she, it, it spread to everybody in the household pretty much. But, but I was a favorite target because I was the littlest one, right? Well, the years go by, and this is a creating. This is creating in me, like it would in any of you. It's creating an idea of who I am, what I'm worth, and what other people I think I'm worth exactly people who should love me and value me don't um, when my dad took me I did not get to see my mom again until I was 11 years old and if she called and tried to talk to me well then the the step monster as I called her would stand there and monitor any calls to make sure I didn't say anything or let her know that anything was wrong or any of these type things and she would send us gifts but they would go through it and take out the letters and take out whatever they felt that we shouldn't have like for whatever reason she just didn't want us to have it like my mom had sent me some jewelry and things like that she'd take all that it'd go in the garbage um, one day came when she decided to do this, and I'm going to tell you this because it was, a, it was a flip of a switch moment. It was a moment when things started changing in me. She, she decided that we were going to have one of those sessions where she was going to tell me how horrible I was and how I had ruined her life, and she was going to threaten to hit me. And I was 13 years old. <laughs> and that, it had built up and built up and built up throughout my life and this day comes and she's there yeah 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 what all all of her stuff you know I can't even tell you what all she was saying because at some point you just sort of blank out you just sit there and you know you're well I just she balled up her she acted like she was gonna hit me and something in me switched and I was so angry I leaped up and, and screamed in the lady's face and threatened to knock her to, to just kill her I, I literally threatened to kill her. I'll just kill you. Here's what's scary about that. I really felt like I could. And that moment scared me as much as it did her. But, but, I was empowered. And I'm going to tell you something right now. A lot of times people who are so angry, it's a power thing. It's a power thing. And if you're that person, you need to dig down and find out why are you so angry? What's underneath that? And I'll get to it. I'll get to what's underneath it in just a little bit. I'm going to get to that. So this day comes and I suddenly I stand up and we've changed the tables now. But of course she's got a story to tell my dad when he comes home about how I just went crazy and threatened her life and, and you know, so on and so forth. And, and my dad comes home. And whatever this switch is that had turned in me, uh, I'm no longer afraid that my dad's going to beat the tar out of me. I'm just like, great, go ahead and beat the tar out of me. But from now on, I'm never going to be her doormat again. And my dad's answer was, now, Tina, you know, she's only like that when she's drunk. And my answer was, yes, Daddy, and every day she's drunk. <laughs> so you're right. 
she's only like that when she's drunk, which is every day of her life, okay? At this point, her and him, they had a, a falling out, and my dad goes to see uh, my mom in Georgia. Long story short, my brother and I go to live with, uh, well, actually that happened before the anger thing. We, at 11, my mom, my dad and, and the stepmother had a falling out, and my brother and I did get to go and be with my mom for a short time. But we ended up moving back here. And part of the reason for that was because my mom was just so poor that, I mean, we did nothing. We could go nowhere. We could do nothing. And it just, and it's as weird as it is when you've been in a house like that that's so chaotic and you go to something that is just so dead still, you're bored. It's really weird. You would think that we would have stayed and been very happy to stay away from this crazy household. But him and I both chose to go back. My brother was going, and I didn't want to be left there, and I went back. So we go back into this household, and then the point of me being at 13, that happens. And my mom comes down to visit my sister, and so I move with her. And so I come back to my mom's house, and, and, and another reason that my brother and I came back is because we were so young, and my mom struggled with, like I said, she was an alcoholic. My mother loved us dearly. I never doubted that, ever. I never doubted my mom's love for me. Um, but I knew she had a real problem, Okay. And so we go back, and we're living with her, and it's good sometimes, and it's bad sometimes. Um, one day, she gets drunk. One of these people that she would hang out with, a man, came by, and she took off, and she was gone for, for a week or two. And so I was left living with my aunt off and on. I, I sort of stayed at home and stayed Basically, I was the parent, and so I would try very hard to keep these people away from my mom, and although I knew my mom loved me, it was just problematic, you know, it was problematic, and so I would drive her, I would drive her when she was sick and take her to the bootleggers, because in Jessup, Georgia, like Pastor tells you, literally, they roll the sidewalks up on Sunday, and, and at six o'clock at night, there's nothing open except these very scary places where you go and get drunk and whatever, okay? So I would drive my mom. I was driving around, driving the car all over the town at 13 years old. And my aunt, who lived across the street, my, my mom's dad had bought everybody a property. And so uh, they were all living like sort of around each other. And my aunt, uh, her son, was a Christian. Praise the Lord. And we lived right across the street from a church, literally. Like you walked out our front door and there was a dirt road and right across the street was a church, okay? Uh, my cousins came down to visit and I had, you know, of course I had met them before and whatnot, but this was the first time I think I was old enough to really notice, to like really, uh, you know, pay attention to what was going on there. And they came and I, I could feel the love and I could see something so different than I had ever seen. I mean, this was a family that was knit together, and they loved each other, and they honored each other, and they were respectful to each other. Now, my aunt and my uncle, um, they weren't like my mom and dad, but they, they, didn't, they weren't going to church and living a good life. But the light in my cousins, uh, his family, shone so brightly, and I was so, oh, 
oh, it was beautiful to me. You can understand how that would be. I had never seen anything like that. I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know what to. So the day comes that the vacation's over. They were there for two weeks, and they're going home to North Carolina. Oh, I was so upset. I cried and cried, and I begged them to take me home with them. Well, you know, that's a big decision, take on another kid, especially when you've got, you know, you got four at home. They had four kids at home. And so here I am, and they're like, oh, dear. Well, you know, they didn't take me that day. And I was so sad and distraught. I remember just feeling like, oh, man, I, you know, that, that's just never going to happen in my life, something like that. Well, make a long story short, I guess they went home and prayed about it, and God must have laid it on their heart because they called back and said, if your mom will agree to it, you can come live with us. We'd love to take you in. And so I did. So I went to live with them uh, for about two years. And in that time, God in his infinite mercy showed me something so different, so different. Now, I had prayed a sinner's prayer as a little girl before, and I, I'm a little over time, so I'm going to wrap this up quickly now. I've spent too much time on the front details. Um, but God in his mercy showed me something else in those years that I lived with my cousin. And I called, him, I called them mom and dad. I just, I loved them. I'm telling you something right here. That, the light that's in you, the world wants it. And especially those that have been hurt and are hungry. I'm telling you something here. They see it. They know. Well, I got to spend that two years and go to Christian school, and I, was, I, I gave my heart to Jesus there. Now, I'd like to say that from that point on, I walked with God and did good things. I didn't. I made some bad choices along the way. But listen, listen, there came a day it had been planted in me. The seed had been planted in me, and it was in there. And I had given my life to the Lord during that time, and I had walked away from it and made lots of bad decisions. And maybe I'll get up and share more about that later. Here's the thing I want to tell you. One day I'm driving down the road. Jerry and I are married by this time. I had had one marriage that failed. I'd made plenty of wrong choices. And I'm praying, God, I want to come back to you, but I think I've gone too far. I think I've strayed too far. It was a lie from the enemy. Because as long as the Lord's talking to you and drawing you and you've got breath, you've got a chance to make a different choice. Amen. As long as you've got breath in your body and as long as you're still on this side of the dirt, you're in good shape to make a, a different choice for your life. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter where you, you've got to choose life. So I'm driving down I-4 and they're working on I-4. Surprise, surprise. And, and I, I'd been out, I don't even remember what I'd been doing, but I'm coming home and I'm just, I'm talking to the Lord and I'm like, Lord, you know, I want to turn around, but you know, this, this, and this, and you know, I've married Jerry and he's not too into church, although he used to be into church and you know, my friends, they smoke pot and I won't have any friends. And I mean, I'm just going down this whole list of why it's going to be almost impossible for me to turn around. And I miss my turn to get off of, of I-4 right there. And I'm like, oh, man, I've missed my exit. And I didn't have very much gas. Just a little bit. So now I'm, I'm driving down the road, and I'm like, Lord, now this is what's funny, because all through this time when I was acting like uh, 
I don't know what, the devil's kid instead of God's. I would still pray and I would witness to people. Even in the bar, I would tell them, you know, you better know Jesus if you want to go to heaven. I mean, I can understand Pastor talking about how he cussed and lead people to the Lord. I was that goofy girl that would be drunk and tell them, well, you better know Jesus if you want to go to heaven, okay? So I was that girl. So I'm driving down the road, and I think to myself, oh, man, I'm out of gas. And I'm like, Lord, I'm out of gas. I'm not, i got to go all the way to Lake Mary. This is not good. I'm, I'm not going to have gas to get home, and I already spent my cash and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going through this whole thing. And, of course, like I said, they're working on I-4. But I see where they've created. You know how they create those little turns where you can turn around? And just as clear as day, the Holy Spirit said to me, I thought this thought. I said, you know what? I'm just going to turn around right there. I'm not going to drive all the way to Lake Mary. And God, as clear as day within my heart, said, exactly all you have to do is turn around. You don't keep going the wrong way. It's all it takes. Just turn around. Just turn around. You can do it. You can do it. He said choose. Exactly. So I chose. And that day I turned around and I went home and told my husband, I said, look, we have to get into church. We have to get back in church. And I thought for sure he was going to be like, what are you talking about, woman? You know, you. And we'd, had, we'd been to church some. We had our foot in and out and this and that. And we'd go a while and then we'd drink and party and we'd stay out. And then we'd go back and then we'd smoke some pot. And then we'd go back and we'd, it was, we were all over the place. We were a hot mess, okay? I'm just telling you that. Hot mess. And so finally, I come home and said, look, we got to do this thing. And so we did. We, we, we got into church. Now, listen, I was doing pretty good, but I found myself doing lots of things. Y'all, I'm, I'm five minutes over. Do y'all want me to call it quits, or do you want to you hear the rest? Okay. So I found myself doing all kinds of things still. Even though I was in church, I would think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be this way, but I wouldn't be that way. I wouldn't be the way sometimes that I meant to be. And I, one day I went to God and I said, God, what is the matter with me? I could totally relate to, to Paul when he said, the things that I wish I would do, I don't do them. And the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. Right? And so I went to God. And I'm like, God, I don't know what's wrong with me. I do things that I don't mean to do. And I know they're not going to work out. And I know the consequences are going to be bad. And it's not, and yet I do it anyway. What is the matter with me? Can you help me? And God started to talk to me on my bed at night. And he started to show me, Teresa, remember when this incident and this incident happened? You believed this. Here's what was really going on. And he showed me. He showed me that the things were happening really. I was a victim of the choices that adults were making at that time. But I developed a belief. And when God would show me what that belief was and show me what I thought of, now listen, this is key, what I thought of as hurt, deep hurt. You know what that was? It was unforgiveness. See, it hides under the layer of hurt. I'm, I'm hurt. And I was hurt. It hides under the layer of hurt. And God showed me, you got to forgive. Oh, dear. I'd like to say I received that with joy. 
but I'd be a liar right here in the pulpit, and we don't want to do that. <laughs> and I, and here's, here's what I want to say to you. This was one point I really wanted to get to. I didn't feel. <laughs> do you hear me? I didn't feel like forgiving. But I made a choice. And I chose to forgive. I said this prayer to God. I said, Father God, I don't feel like forgiving her. She hurt me deeply. And my dad hurt me deeply. And I don't want to forgive them. But I want with everything in me to obey you. And so, if you can work that forgiveness in me towards them, if you can do that in me towards them, then I yield myself to you and ask you to please do it. I want to obey you. I want to obey you. Well, can I tell you something? God did do that. And he took me step by step. Now, if you're here and you came up in a situation like that and you think to yourself, you just don't know what I've been through. It's not easy for me to choose to do the right thing. Or maybe I choose to do the right thing sometime, but for whatever reason, I don't know, I still end up doing things I shouldn't do. Well, why don't you ask God to show you? See, because you can choose. Now, in the natural, I have every reason to be a hot mess. And don't anybody say it. I know sometimes I might be. <laughs> but it could, be, it could really be something. I'm telling you that God loves you, and he can turn it around. And you don't have to be the one to figure it all out, but you have to make a choice to let him work through you. You have to let him work. You have to choose it. You have to choose to turn towards what he said. You have to choose forgiveness. And this is a huge one, and I'm going to end on this. Um, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. And it says this. For if you forgive men their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. A lot of people don't want to forgive because they feel like what they're saying is, then everything that I've been through and everything that has happened to me means nothing. That my life is, it, it, it's, it's okay that I've been treated this way and it, it means, that's not what it's saying. Yeah, they're off the hook, and everything that's happened to me is just, who cares? And a lot of people struggle with that. Listen, you being unforgiving towards the other person does absolutely nothing except keep you a victim. You are holding the key to the jail cell you're locked in. And believe me, when you don't forgive, you're locked in a jail cell. Because God showed me the things that I were doing came from a place of hurt unforgiveness when I chose to forgive I set myself free I set myself free and oddly enough God gave me a great love toward to I wouldn't say in those sense of warm and cozy or or you know nothing like that but an agape love I was able to see her through a whole different lens of my dad too I was able to see them through a whole different lens and to not be affected by all the nonsense anymore. So if I wanted to say anything to you tonight, it's if you're going down the wrong road, turn around. It's real simple. 
If the devil's telling you, hey, you've done too much, you're going the wrong way, you're doing this, you're this is that, and the other, no, 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 no. It's real simple. You're still breathing. Turn around. Don't keep going. Just turn around. Amen? And if you need to forgive, do it for you. Do it for you. It'll change your whole life. It'll change the way you behave. It'll help you to get over your anger issues. It'll help you to see, see your situation in a whole different light. It did me. And it'll allow God to take you further. Because you're keeping God from, you're stuck right there at the place of your unforgiveness. Believe me, you are. You're stuck in the place of your unforgiveness. You're locked in the jail cell of your unforgiveness. Take out the key and unlock yourself. Forgiveness is the key. Amen? I am. So, Father, right now, if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice that is struggling with any of this, Father, I just pray that right now that something, anything that Pastor Lisa and I have said would just reach them where they are, Father. That they would at least just reach out to you and say, Papa, is this possible? If you could do it for her, could you do it for me? And the answer is yes. We know that. We know you're no respecter of persons, Papa. And so, Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice right here. If they've got any unforgiveness in their hearts, I pray that tonight they will repent of that and that they'll set themselves free. They'll set themselves free this evening. And, Papa, if they're going the wrong direction, help them to see. All you got to do is turn around. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. Just turn around. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray it. And I thank you. Amen. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I forgive those that have hurt me. I release them. I choose to release them. What they did is between them and God. I'm no longer in the mix. Thank you, Lord. Because I always want grace and mercy when I mess up. <laughs> Jesus name. Amen. Didn't you love? Amen. I just, you know, I, I spoke to her the other night in the kitchen and she was going on about stuff that was happening. I'm like, my Lord, you got a story, but it was a good story. Tragedy.